your lesson. It's trimester one, lesson nine. Can you believe we're almost done with first trimester? Did it not go fast? I promised you it would go fast. And we're going to be giving you a couple lessons here at the end of this first trimester that will begin to prepare you. At least I feel like it will prepare you for that second trimester, which we deal with almost exclusively in the area of authority. And um, we just kind of set it up and hopefully dovetail you right into it and can put some concepts out there initially that hopefully will make second trimester go down easier. I don't know. I don't know if authority ever goes down easier, but anyway, uh, it's important and and it needs to uh, be talked about. But tonight, um, we're talking about leadership and the title of the lesson tonight is why leaders lose their promise or why leaders lose their destiny. Um, you know, leadership, uh, is influence. You ought to write that down sometime because if you're waiting for a position or you're waiting for a title, you may eventually get one and, and, and maybe that will flip your switch or pull your trigger and make you feel all good about yourself. But leadership is not because you get a desk plate or a name on a door or a title You know, these things may have their place, but leadership is influence. And I recognize the fact because when we started School of Ministry years ago, or at least a year or so ago, we called it School of Leaders. And then I switched it because I, I, I knew that for some people, the word leader was almost intimidating. And they didn't feel like they were a leader per se, or what we define leaders as. And, and so I thought, well, we'll just take away the concept of leader as a word, and instead of trying to tweak everybody's vocabulary, we'll just call it the school of ministry because I believe everybody can receive the truth that all of us at some form or fashion are called to do the work of the ministry, whatever that may be. But to be candid with you, leadership, I believe, is an exclusive role of the Christian, if we understand it right, because Jesus said that you and I were to be salt in the earth, we were to be light. And salt preserves meat. It was the preserving substance of the first century, but they didn't have refrigerators. And how would they preserve things? Well, they preserved it by the use of salt. Salt would would enable it to last longer. And most of us know that. And Jesus called us the salt of the earth. In other words, we were to be the ones that preserved this thing longer than it probably would have been designed. You know, there's a story about Abraham, uh, with regards to, or Abraham and Lot, I always get the two mixed up at this point, and somebody will correct me here in just a minute and holler it out. But remember when, when God said he was going to destroy the city and he, and he needed to find 50 righteous people. Was that with Abraham or Lot? I heard Abraham and Lot. Thank you. You're as messed up as I am. Come on, who really knows who it was? Who, who, who was it? Abraham, Abraham. I got two Abrahams. Abraham, it's gone. All right, that's right. Lot's Lot's gone somewhere. He's in hell, I guess. I don't know, but he's gone. He's just gone. Don't I know that's on DVD. That's not the truth. You never know who will be watching this years from now, and they'll send me an email. But there's this there's this negotiation that's going on with with Abraham and God, and God says, if I can find fifty, I'll spare the city. And and so instantly they go into this negotiation, and Abraham whittles them down to ten. They, they go through this whole long negotiation down to 10. And so God says, finally, he says, stop, I'm done negotiating. If I can find 10 righteous, I will spare the city. And what that really is an indicator of is that, is that that was God's minimum requirement of salt 
in the earth in order to spare the city that he was set to destroy. Let me tell you, God is set to judge even our nation. And I don't know what the covenant of salt is that God would require in order to spare this nation. But folks, if we're going to hand our nation off to the next generation, we, we got to be a covenant of salt. We've got to be a preserving influence in this culture in order that our children and our grandchildren can have a shot at whether it be bringing revival or, or holding on uh, for that next generation and seeing even more souls brought into the kingdom. Well, how many of you know salt is leadership on meat? It's preserving the meat. Without it, it would be destroyed. Same with light. Light breaks through the darkness. This introduction isn't on your notes, by the way. But it's important. Light breaks through the darkness and light... Light is leadership, and you are called, I am called, we're all called to be the light of the world. Not to put that light under a bushel, but to let it, but to let it burn brightly. And so, I believe that Christians, whether they ever get titles or positions, in fact, oftentimes it messes us up when we do. We are to exercise influence, and that's why I define leadership as influence. You may not have a title, but if you're influencing your circle, you're the leader. And we're called to be leaders in that regard. We're called to be influencers for righteousness' sake. But <clears throat> along with, with uh, the call to that leadership, we have to realize that if that influence is compromised or if that influence is not, is not demonstrated rightly or righteously, then it could be used for evil effect as well. And we are living in a time period in our nation where our leaders are, are absolutely, you know, they're crashing at this rapid level that's unbelievable. And it doesn't matter whether it's government leaders or church leaders, celebrity leaders, Hollywood supposed leaders. I mean, they're crashing at incredible rates. And, and it's funny how everybody wants to influence, but the minute their character is impugned, then they say, don't look at me, I don't want to be a role model. Well, then quit selling your Nike tennis shoes. That's my view. If you don't want to be of influence, then quit the endorsements. Otherwise, you take the good with the bad. Or, or you take the responsibility with the perks. Amen. So, leadership is influence. And if you have influence, you need to guard it very carefully. And that's why when it comes to the severity of judgment that can oftentimes come on a leader, it is appropriate, and we're going to talk about this uh, in the Word of God. So let me get to the lesson. I'm going to go through this quickly. In Numbers chapter 20, there's a great story here that I want to read to you. Numbers 20, verses 2 and 3, it says this, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Isn't that, isn't that great? They, they can't find a drink, so they're going to get irritated at Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if we'd only died when our brethren died before the Lord. In other words, when all those people were consumed uh, because of the rebellion that took place from Korah and those other leaders, now the rest of them are saying, well, we just soon have been consumed by that earthquake as well. How many of you know that's just a weird mentality right there? It says in verse 4, why have you brought us uh, to the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here. Now let's leap to verse 7. But the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. And you may want to underline this in your Bible. It says, Speak to the rock. Everyone say, Speak. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now I'm going to leap a little further ahead to verse 11. 
Well, let's go back to verse 10. Sorry. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Now, you got to admit, he was speaking the truth, wasn't he? I mean, it wasn't that he was lying. Moses wasn't lying. I mean, they were. But he's just pretty irritated with them right now. He said, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock. Everyone say struck. You understand that struck is not speak. Struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Now look at verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, or that word hallow, you could also translate sanctified me. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Mirabah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. And then um, I'll not go on to read verses uh, 23 through 28. It basically says in those verses that that was the point that Aaron was stripped of his garments and he died and he was not allowed to go into the promised land. And then in Deuteronomy 32, we find the passage where Moses finally brings the children of Israel up to the promised land, their destiny, his destiny as well. But it tells us here that um, the Lord said to Moses, go up to the mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab across from Jericho. And the Lord says, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession and die on the mountain, which you ascend and be gathered to your people. Just as Aaron, your brother died on Mount Or and was gathered to his people because the Lord says you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Mirabah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there. Man, that's a tough judgment right there. God says, I'm going to let you look. I'm going to let you peek at what you could have had. That's tough. I'm going to let you take a glimpse of what was yours. He says, but I'm only going to let you see it. You shall not go there into the land which I am given to the children of Israel. And then lastly, and I know we'll have to move swiftly, but you'll, you'll listen quick, won't you? John 17, 19, this is what Jesus says. It's an interesting passage. He says, and for their sakes, meaning the disciples, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Interesting passage. We're going to talk about that. We've seen all sorts of people, whether they are notable national media leaders down through the ranks of of every area and venue of life, even into the church itself, we have watched leaders collapse and crash for various, various reasons. Here we have Moses and Aaron, both of whom have great qualities. I mean, would you not say that Moses is of a league that, wow, we, we ought to aspire to? I mean, burning bush, miracles, bringing a nation to its knees, leading five million people. I mean, an amazing ministry and man is Moses. But when he gets to the end of his life, he makes a mistake at Mirabah, and that mistake cost him his destiny. Now, it's interesting to me, whenever I read this, I automatically, and I still do to this day, I shift into, wow, Lord, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like it was that big of a sin. 
I know you told him to speak to the rock and he got irritated with people and he grabbed a stick and he just whooped a rock. I mean, I mean, if it were me, I'd have whooped some people. Now that might've kept me out of destiny, whooping a few people, but whooping a rock, come on. That doesn't seem like it's that important. Whooping a rock. I, I wanted to beat about 10 of them. And you're saying I, you, all I did was beat a rock. Hey, listen, I, I, di I didn't embezzle any money. I didn't run off. I didn't run off with some woman. I wasn't found in some sexual perversion. I wasn't, you know, hooked or addicted to the computer or some internet issues. I mean, I can think of a lot bigger sins than hitting a rock, at least in my mind. But, but God said, speak to the rock, and Moses slaps it. And because he slapped it, God says, you're not going in to your destiny. Now, I need to understand this. Because I, if we don't get a hold of this, it, this isn't measuring up how I would measure things up. And, and this is the lesson I believe that the Lord is giving us here. To be in spiritual leadership and authority is a significant matter. There should be a reverence or what we've called a fear to manage the things of God. There ought to be a fear or reverence to managing the things of God. If, if, if the Lord opens a door for you to do a ministry... I don't care if it's what people would consider menial or if it's very visible. Whatever whatever level of ministry, God may open a door for you to, whether it be participate, to give oversight to. There, there needs to be an appropriate respect to how you manage the things of God. Some people treat leadership as a, as a frivolous thing. Now, I understand, and uh, it's certainly something that uh, I've been reminded of on numerous occasions. I get the fact that, that I put my pants on the same way every man puts his pants on. I don't know if I put my pants on the same way the women do. I don't know. But, but as far as it goes with men, I know that I get up in the morning, I get dressed just like any ordinary person. I eat my breakfast. I, I go about my business. A lot of my life is very normal and ordinary and would resemble any other man and his life and how he does things as well. So I understand that, that, that as far as being just an ordinary person, I'm just like anyone else. And, and you all do realize that Moses, I guess Moses put his toga on the same way everyone else did too. I mean, Moses was a man. I mean, Moses, Moses ate and Moses you know, was a person, he's born under the same influences and curses the rest of us are. And so, and, and so we could, you know, Moses didn't glow in the dark. We tend to think these biblical characters kind of like they glowed in the dark or they, they walked maybe three inches up off the ground. They didn't really walk. They just sort of sailed. And we have these images, but they were, they were people. But the truth of the matter is, is that God called them to some form of leadership and when God calls you to some form of leadership, and listen to me, it doesn't matter if you're just leading really in the nursery. If you're leading, you have influence, and influence is an important thing. You see, you're not just like everyone else. To be a leader in the kingdom of God is to represent the Lord. Do you know that Paul called us all ambassadors? He didn't say that was just reserved for leaders. He said, he said that God's people are ambassadors. And what an ambassador is, is somebody who represents the leader of the nation that they're representing. And so we're ambassadors of the Lord. So whether we're being merciful or whether we're exercising justice, 
as a leader, we must always endeavor to be like our Lord. Now, how many of you know we're humans? We all make mistakes. Certainly as leaders, we make mistakes. But the key is we ought never draw God into our mistakes. You see, Moses' problem was, is that he yelled and allowed the people to believe that that was the attitude of God. He disobeyed God in a clear matter. Now, if you've been around me long enough, you know I yell a lot, right? You know, (laughs) I yell a lot. But but you see, the yelling isn't the issue. The the issue was God said, I don't, I didn't say uh, uh, for you to to strike and, and yell at them. I just said to speak and And it was at this point that because of Moses's influence is that God said, you've misrepresented me before the people. And we need to be sure that we're not drawing the Lord into some of our carnal uh, fits or, or manifestations. If we misrepresent the nature of God, then what we do is we should acknowledge it as our own doing and repent before God. Now hear me right now, because you got to get the whole picture on this. If, if God says it is time for his justice to prevail and you're too merciful, then you've misrepresented God. See, we tend to think it's the other way around. We think if somebody's too tough on you, they're misrepresenting God because God is merciful and love. Well, he is that. And there are times for mercy and love. And if you decide to give wrath when you should be giving mercy or love, then you've misrepresented God. But let's understand the whole equation. If God's saying, I'm up to here with it, it is time that they hear my severity and you decide you're still going to give them mercy and love and pablum and excuse them, then you become like Eli who let his sons off the hook. And he misrepresented the character of God in his mercy. Are you following me? So you got to get the whole picture here. The whole picture is, is that we've got to, we've got to be attuned to the Lord to know when, when we are representing and misrepresenting the nature of God. And Moses had misrepresented the nature of God at that moment. And God said, I can't let it go. He has to be judged. Now I'm just grateful in the day that you and I live in now, as we're under a new covenant, that his judgment isn't just cutting us off from our whole future, but don't misunderstand. If you misrepresent God, there is a judgment that comes. There's a repercussion that will come. If we, as leaders, do not confess our human frailties, God will always vindicate himself in the congregation. Now, the reason this lesson is so important is because when we get to authority and when we start understanding what it means to come under authority, one of the first gripes you'll always hear, it's my gripe too, is, hey, this guy or this woman's in authority and I don't know that they're they're a good authority. They may be a rotten authority and they may have terrible character and yet I'm under this authority and are you telling me that I have to respond and be under and yanny, 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 and God, I think I ought to do this and that. Listen, keep your hands off it because God will vindicate himself. I don't recall Jim Baker getting away with it. Jimmy Swagger didn't get away with it. Ted Haggard didn't get away with it. You won't get away with it. God will vindicate himself. Now, God may not move on your schedule, but you're not in charge of your schedule anyway. It's God's timing. Are you following me now? See, if you can get a revelation of that, that God will vindicate himself somehow, some way. See, that's why, that's why we got to have the fear of the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. I know that God can yank my chain at any moment. I mean, God could kill me. I mean, really people say, well, God wouldn't do that. All he has to do is just lift his hand and go say, drive home.
Isn't it interesting? The children of Israel rebelled against God on numerous occasions, and yet the Lord was always with them. This is what really irritated me about all this. I'm just really going to confess to you that whenever I do this lesson, it kind of brings up that irritation because I'm saying to myself, hey, Lord, they rose up in rebellion. They're, they're whining and complaining and murmuring and backbiting and griping and they built golden calves and they did perversions and, and you let them do all that and Moses just slapped a darn rock and he loses everything. That doesn't seem fair, does it? You see, whether you think that's fair or not, whether you think that's just or not, the Bible says this, to whom much is given, much is required. That's why he said in James 3 and 1, you ought to write this one down. He says, let not many of you aspire to be teachers, for with it comes a stricter judgment. Well, why would that be? Why, why doesn't he just treat me like he treats everyone else? It's because you're influencing more people. And if something comes out of you that's not right, or it's in error, or it misrepresents God, or it hadn't been prayed through, or you're just having a fit, or whatever it is, and it just comes out, your rippling effect has far greater influence. So God says, I will judge that in a far more severe way. See, see, you can, you can propagate the same error on a, on a phone with your best friend and God won't do much to you. But you stand up in front of a group of people with the authority of God behind you and begin to say, this is what the Lord says and it's not what the Lord said. You're, you're in trouble. See, the greater your influence and leadership, the more severe is God's dealing. So every time we exercise leadership, we should ask to be one with the Lord. In other words, Lord, I really want to do what you would do. What would you do in this situation? What would you do in this opportunity? What would you do in this environment? What would you do if, if I was in this situation? I mean, we've used all of these illustrations through the years, and I almost hesitate to do this, but I had people years ago when we were making the transition from one church to legacy, I had people years ago who told me that, that uh, if it were them, that they would have stood up and they would have told everybody what for. They'd have exposed everything, every person. They'd have let it rip potato chip. They'd have handed out pamphlets at the door. They'd have done this. They'd have done that. They'd have done everything. I mean, they were telling me what all I should have done. But all I can tell you is I remember what the Lord showed me. The Lord showed me. He said, if you want to be like Jesus, then as a lamb before cheers is dumb, you go before and open not your mouth. You know why you do that? Because, because God will vindicate the truth. I want it done in 24 hours. Sometimes it takes years. Truth ain't always fast, but it'll always show up. It'll always show up. So, so you've got to ask to be one with the Lord. And if a mistake is made, listen, you know, and, 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 and I don't have time to go into the nature of God as we move through the scriptures, but but again, if, if, if we believe that we're under a New Testament covenant and all the things the New Testament covenant provides, if a mistake is made, God's not looking just to beat the fire out of you. I don't believe that's the heart of God. He wants to redeem it, you need, but you need to repent from it and, and you need to recognize it, separate it from, from you know, sloshing it on the Lord. And, and I believe that he can, he can use that as a learning moment in order to grow you up. But before you speak or act, you ought to seek to understand God's mind on the matter. So the one, the more one knows the Lord, the less they are careless. The more one knows the Lord, 
the less they are careless. Now, again, we're talking about influence. If you have influence, you ought to be sensitive to what it is you do, what it is you say, how it is you act. That's not putting on airs. It's not trying to be plastic. You're, you're not, you're not uh, you know, trying to be something you're not. But at the same time, you need to understand what Jesus said when he said, uh, because of them, I sanctify myself. For their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they in turn uh, might be sanctified. Now, there are a lot of things, and we already went through this, that Paul said there are many things that are legal, but they're not beneficial. There are many things that you may be able to do, and, and it's not going to send you to hell. And uh, maybe the vast majority of believers in the body of Christ do these things. But you need to understand that as your influence grows, you see, you, you, you need to be less and less careless. And I put a couple of things down here. For instance, and this is probably the major one in all of our lives, including me. All right. So if I admit to it, everybody's got to admit to it because it all it, it really is everyone. And that is we cannot speak carelessly. You know, we all have heard and we've been taught this in myriads of ways that that words contain power. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Words are the conduit through which spiritual things are released and communicated. If you want to understand how miracles flow, it flows from our speech. It flows from our tongue. This is what this tongue is what God gave us in order to loose the things of God into the earth. That's why so much of what God asks of us to do is speaking. And he demonstrates it himself because that's how he created the whole universe. He didn't roll up his sleeves and he got to work with his hands. The Bible says he spoke and it was. So we are of that same nature and, and spiritual things happen when we speak. There's power when we speak. You know that to be true. You can be having a perfectly good day, get a phone call from somebody. You just have a short 60 second conversation and the rest of your day is ruined. Now, why? It was just words. It's because words have power. I believe they gain even more authority when one finds themselves in authority or in leadership or of a place of influence. And so we ought not speak carelessly. And so as a leader, you need to think about the kinds of jokes you're telling. You really do need to think about the kind of jokes you're telling. I think as a Christian, see, these are things about maturity, really. But that's why it is with leadership, because you tell an inappropriate joke and you have influence. And then all of a sudden people, people say, what, 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 that was just, that, that, that wasn't the time or the place. We're talking about jokes, whether they're, that they have sexual innuendos or whether they're maybe racially oriented or people group oriented. I mean, we need to be careful about what we think's funny and what jokes are coming out of our mouths. I, I, I encourage you to, to watch for what I call double entendres. Double entendres is when you say one thing, but, but you can give it a spin or an inflection or, 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 or a raised eyebrow and you can make it seem sleazy. Are you following me? You've, 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 you've heard people, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to try to illustrate it, but you've heard people before and you, somebody said something and, and, you know, he said, oh man, I just, I had a tough night last night. Oh, you had a tough night last night. Uh, just a double entendre. You got to be careful about those things. Need to be careful about swearing. All right. Now I said, Dern, I hope, I hope I may need to repent from my Dern. But, but I'm just saying it, you know, I'm not, you say, well, some of these words are in the Bible, pastor. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can read hells in the Bible. 
Well, I understand that. And so is God. And so are other words. And uh, I understand all those things are in the Bible, but, but that doesn't mean necessarily that we can flippantly use those. You can't speak carelessly. Slang, I think we need to be careful and not speak carelessly. Control your spirit and your mouth, especially when provoked, because the flesh has no place in leadership. How many of you know God doesn't act out of the flesh? I mean, now, here's the good news. Listen to me now, because everyone here is going... Listen, I understand. I understand the flesh rises. I'm a human being. The flesh rises. The key is, is whether you'll say, yeah, that was the flesh. I need to, I need to break that. It ought not have been a part of my life. The government of God or the authority of God ought not be offended or overlooked. I put down here, whatever loosens the reins of self-control should be avoided. You see, when it comes really what, what separates greater leadership uh, maybe from membership or what gives you greater and greater influence. And when God promotes you, really, I'm finding out has to deal with self-control. If, if you cannot exercise self-control, and, and can I just say this, that, that government, government doesn't start in Washington, D.C. Government starts here. Self-government. And that's the problem really with America today is because we're out of control because we've not learned self-government. And until we learn self-government, uh, God's not going to allow us to have any sort of influence or, or, or greater uh, leadership. And, and whatever loosens the reins of self-control should be avoided. And, and again, I'm just going to get back to things like, for me, you know, if you're going to go, I, you know, I just don't think leaders, and that's the requirement we put on our leaders, is that we just don't think drinking has any place in a Christian leader's life. I understand that there, that there are people in, in membership and in other churches, and I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that, that somehow or another they're evil people. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't, didn't know that Jesus turned water into wine. I understand it all. I'm just saying that we live in a culture that is lacking self-control. And I just don't know many anymore that can do that and somehow keep their self-control. I have dealt with too many people who have lost their self-government over this issue and whatever loosens the reins of self-control ought to be avoided. I believe that. And, and so I realize I'm a, I'm a museum piece. It's not popular in the body. I understand that every time I say it, people probably say, Pastor, if you would just get off that horse, there would probably be other people that could receive from you. I don't care. Amen. I wasn't slapping a rock. was close, but I didn't slap it. But it's just, see, that's what I'm saying. What, what, what is it that loosens our self-control? I, th I think if you find yourself hanging around people that, you know, there are some people that they just have the ability to bring the worst out in you. You know what? If they provoke you, if they cause you to lose some facet of self-control, I'd cut them off. Music, music can do that too. I never thought of that about how music... Music's romantic. Music can cause you to go a place you ought not go. Again, I suppose movies could too. All sorts of things. Anyway, you see, you can't codify these things. Are you following me? I can't, I, I can't, nor would I want to. In fact, the Bible doesn't even codify everything. God doesn't even codify it for us. Wouldn't it be great if God just codified, if he just gave us another book of the Bible and he just codified all the do's and don'ts and we could just check them off? Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
But that's why we're to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, whom the Bible says will guide us into all truth, will reveal everything to us, will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we've got to understand that if, we're, if we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he might look at us and say, I'm giving you greater influence, so you're going to have to stop this. And if you say, well, no one else has to stop it, God will say, no one else is going where I'm taking you. Are you following me? Because we have leaders today who want to be drinking buddies. Heard one pastor the other day. I can't got to be careful here. Heard one pastor the other day. I mean, he literally owns a bar. That's despicable. I'll say it. I, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong as rain. I think it's wrong as rain to lead people as a leader into sin when you're having to call cabs to take your patrons at your business home. Something right about that. So I won't be invited to speak at that church. Amen. See, Moses and Aaron lost their destinies because they would not sanctify themselves before the people. Now, again, this isn't, this isn't alienating people. This is the part that oftentimes people don't get. They'll say, well, you just think you're better than us. No, no, I don't. I think I am subject to every temptation you're subject to. I think I am subject to every dealing of God that you're having to work through. I am subject to everything under the curse of this earth that you're facing as well. I don't think I'm any better than anyone else. I think I have to rely on the the power of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, as well as all the other things that come. I have to rely on it just like you do. But this much I know that if I'm going to a place that I'm going to affect many, then God's going to work in me in such a way that not many will embrace. See, that's where, that's where I believe God's dealing with all of us in is that if, if we're going to be of great influence, then we've got to understand that, that we can't allow little things to take place. Listen, I, 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 there's, there's, I'm not going to get into this and say any names, but there's been another in, in our gubernatorial race. For those of you that hadn't heard, one of the, one of the participants has had a little scandal, a little dirt come up around them concerning a relationship that they had that wasn't their spouse. Now, I don't know whether it's true or not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to believe. And, and to be candid with you, I'm just about done with the whole mess. I, I, I know this. Everybody admits to the fact that, that there are phone calls that are going on between another man and a woman happening hours in the middle of the night. Can I just share this with you? That's dumb. Maybe you didn't do anything, but that's just not smart. You're saying, I can't call up somebody who works for me in the middle of the night. Listen, I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to a place that they're not going to pull any dirt on me. Because the enemy waits until you've got the most influence, and that's when he decides to unveil all your flaws. So that's why God's refining you and me even now. Now, let me give you a good example here. This will blow your mind. I haven't taught this in ages. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, you know, to sanctify oneself, it means that you refrain from doing many things that are legitimate. In Leviticus 10, there's this story. And again, I'm just, I'm just sharing this stuff with you because this, this blew my mind. If I can find Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10, we find Aaron. Now, Eli wasn't the only one with family problems. 
Aaron had two sons as well called Nadab and Abihu. And, uh, and I can't get into what all strange fire is, but apparently instead of bringing fire off the altars that were holy unto the Lord, they had their own bick out back and they were just kind of, I guess, starting their own fire. Now there's a point to be made that's an interesting message, but I can't get into all that right now. So they were offering this strange fire up and they'd been doing it apparently on numerous occasions. God was getting irritated about them concerning this. And it says that the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, these are the sons of Aaron. God literally causes this fire to come up and consumes them. And this is what Moses says to Aaron. This is what the Lord spoke saying. Excuse me, Moses said this to Aaron. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now, that's just, that's just some words to us here. But let me, let, me, let me give you kind of the picture here. Aaron, two sons. Those of you that have children, you love your kids? We all love our kids, don't we? Would you not assume Aaron loved his boys? I would. Even though they might have been acting terribly and doing wrong things, I suspect, you know, a parent loves their kids even when their kids are doing wrong things. That doesn't mean we justify what they do, but we still love our kids. So here, all of a sudden, his two sons, two sons, mind you, are consumed. It wasn't in an accident. It wasn't that they were in a battle and the enemy killed them. It was fire that the Lord brought up. The Lord did it. And, and Aaron, all of a sudden, is confronted with this picture that my sons are dead. And God did it. Now, I don't know about you. But even the best leader, I would think, would at least perhaps want to mourn. I mean, I mean, would you not think that? He would want to grieve, to, to cry, to, to express sadness. Maybe, maybe he'd be angry even. I mean, your two sons, gone. I don't like this. It's, I'm mad. I'm angry. But the Bible says here that Moses held his peace. Why? Why did Moses hold, hold, hold his peace? It's because uh, Aaron held his peace. It's because Moses said to him, he said, he's doing this. He's saying, Aaron, remember, 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 you're before the people. I know you just lost your two sons, but you're before the people. Hold your peace. Because you can't misrepresent the Lord. You must sanctify yourself before the people in order that they get the right understanding of who God is. Now, I'm just going to give you just kind of a scenario that, that doesn't happen often, but happens on occasion. It, it may be a, a complete surprise to you, but, but every Sunday, let's say, that I come to church, I don't always have one of the best mornings getting up. There are times I get phone calls that will just irritate you. Perhaps I've interacted with people who are mad at me before service even starts and they want to get it off their chest. I mean, I've had all sorts of things happen through the years. And, and, and here's how it works, just kind of in practicality. Service starts. Worship's going on. It's my time to be able to get up and, and start to do what I do as a pastor. This is how it works oftentimes in my life. I don't get to stand up and say, as far as I'm concerned, you all can just go to. I don't get to do that. You know, there's about, there's about a dozen of you. Don't let the door hit you. 
on the way. I mean, I mean, you just you're you're irritated. You're mad. You're upset. Well, why don't you say it? It's because you misrepresent the character of God at that moment. Because you see, it's not at that moment. It's not about me. And it's, and and if you're going to learn leadership precept, you're going to find out that there are moments when you're on, and it's not about you either. It's not about you. And that's what happened to Aaron here. Moses was saying to Aaron, he was saying, listen, I, 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 I know you're upset. I know you're sad. And you know what? It could well have been that Aaron got in the tent with Moses and buried his head in Moses' shoulder and shook and wept and grieved over what had just taken place with his sons. But when Aaron went out before the people, there was the strength of God that came in order that the people might know that no matter what tragedy comes, their way that they can count on God to give strength. Listen to me, folks. That's people are looking. I just believe this. People are looking for heroes. I'm just telling you, heroes are not in the NBA and they're not in the NFL and they certainly aren't in our government. But people are looking. They really want heroes. They want to look somewhere. It's not, I I understand the whole pedestal thing. and, 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 but listen, at the same time, somebody wants to see someone who can really make this thing work. I don't know about you, I want to find somebody that, that's living it and they're actually winning at it. It's not that they don't have bad days, tough days. It's not that they don't have losses or they, they aren't irritated or they don't have their flesh rise. I'm not, I understand everybody puts their pants on the same way, but there comes a moment if you're going to be a, a leader, you suck it up, you say, God help me, and then you go forward. You don't go in. Whether it's the youth or even the kids, and look at him and go, oh my God, my. you don't do that with your kids. At least I hope you don't. You walk in and go, oh, our life is falling apart, kids. We don't know where we're going to get our next meal. I can't pay the bills. They're foreclosing on the house. Oh God, what are we going to do? And, and, and your little five-year-old's going, Why don't we do that? It's because it's because you know they want to see some strength from somewhere. They want to know that mommy or daddy can get in touch with God and no matter what happens, they can stand. That's what leadership is. Sanctification or or or, or holiness is the mark of leadership. I mean, I've reached the place and I've had to learn this the hard way. I'm pastor 24/7. I've had people take me to lunch before and they said, you can be, you know, I want to be your friend, pastor. You can just, you can just be yourself in front of me. And I, and I used to believe them. And then I found out people lie because what happens is, is that the minute you, you allow them to be your friend, they decide one day while you're eating lunch that they don't want a friend. They want you to be pastor again, but they don't tell you that they switched. And so all of a sudden they look at you and go, I don't want someone around me that's weak and and that's when I learned that if you're a leader, you're a leader 24-7. It's just like if you're a mom or a dad. You're a mom and a dad 24-7. You're not their friend. Are you following me? See, eagles soar to great heights, turkeys scratch in the dirt. The greater the authority, the greater the responsibility and expectation. It's going to touch our motives, our mouth, our ministry. And a lot of people, I want to say this, and, and again, you've heard it, that the opposite of holiness is not sin. People get, what do you call it when you're dealing with opposites? What's that word called? Antonym? Is that it? Antonym is opposite. Okay, this is an antonym. 
Hey, that's pretty good. Anthony, I pulled that one out. Must have been by the Spirit. They, did they say it and I just said it? I thought that was the voice of the Lord. All right. Antonym. All right, I'll give you credit. It wasn't, it wasn't me or it was the Lord. It was someone in their congregation. Antonym. This is an antonym. Righteousness, sin. Okay, that's an antonym. Righteousness, sin. The antonym or the opposite of holiness. Holiness, commonness. That's important. Holiness, commonness. So what does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be uncommon. Holy isn't just to be without sin. See, that's what people think. How can I be holy because I can't be without sin? Well, that's not what we're talking about. It's to be uncommon. So to be sanctified is to be different from the common. You're a leader. You're influencing people. Maybe you're influencing kids. Maybe you're influencing young people. Maybe you're influencing the women. Maybe you're influencing the men. Maybe you're influencing people at work. Maybe you're influencing your neighborhood. I don't know. But, but the key is, is that if you're the leader, and, and no one may ever vote you in as leader, but I will assure you, in fact, is it not interesting? If you watched kids, this is interesting, that kids, there will be a leader that will arise from a group of kids that will influence all the other kids. And nobody ever stopped and voted that little Johnny's the leader of this group. But it happens, does it not, with girls and with boys? There's a leader that rises up. And if that leader is unrighteous, isn't that the worst thing as a parent? Is that your kids get in this group where there's this little Johnny or little Janie. And they're just, they're just the Antichrist. And nobody voted them leader. And we've had these discussions with our boys and girl, and we brought them in and looked at them and said, listen, you are not the thermometer. You are the temperature setter. You're the one that's going to go in and exercise leadership in this. If they all run off the cliff, it don't mean you're running with them. Are you following me? See, that's, that's leadership influence. That's, that's the price tag. It's being uncommon. And so I just put down here and we're done. What little things, little things, it may not be a big thing. You may be doing really good in all the big areas, but what little things in your life? See, for Moses, it wasn't a big thing. I mean, again, I'm not being flippant, but Moses, Moses had the internet thing under control. And Moses, Moses had the one man, one woman deal down. And, 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 and Moses, Moses understood organizational structure and, and, and Moses understood how to pray and get into the presence of God. And Moses under Moses understood a lot of things. Moses's issue was instead of just speaking, he hit a rock and it cost him his future. What is it that Solomon said? He said it was the, it was the little foxes that spoil the vine, isn't it? The little foxes, what little things could be destiny busters in your life. What are the rocks that you struck that may need to be repented for? And what are you now in the process of sanctification? And, and can you really be used as leadership before a watching world, watching church in a scrutinizing world? Do you understand that everybody, every, the reason people don't take Christianity seriously, you know why? It's because they've seen so many, what? What do they call them? You know, some of that is just them seizing on a 
issue, but some of it probably is true. Why leaders lose their destiny. I want you in your promise. I don't know about you. I'm going to get to my promise. Amen. Honey, are you going to get to yours? Together, we're going to get to promise. Amen. You want to get to promise? Come on, stand with me. Let's get there together. Amen. Amen.